the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It is a delight to bring back to the show, as we do every Monday, Brandon Weicker. Brandon J. Weikert is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. He is uh, author of other books in the pipeline on Iran and on China. He is a columnist at all the important journals from the Asia Times, the Washington Times, American Greatness, you name it. And his kids are getting a little jittery to get ready to go out tricking and treating. So uh, we will move along with dispatch. We don't want um, we don't want the kids sugar high delayed here. Brandon, how are you? <laughs> I am fine. Feel free to delay it. It's going to be help for me, you know, after the fact. What are the popular <laughs> costumes this year? Not a not a not a white sheet with just two holes cut into it like Charlie Brown, is it? <laughs> no, because you know that might they might be accused of being white. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't do that, right? I didn't see that coming. They could be confused for Robert Byrd. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I missed that one. I didn't see around that yeah. corner. But yeah. I do th- I am happy. I got to tell you when I turn on whatever my I I can't tell you the difference anymore between Netflix, Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever, but All it's right. good to yeah, see no. that they still have it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. I'm glad I'm glad some yeah. of these verities still exist. Yes, I'm just waiting for them to start, you know, going in and editing them to be more culturally sensitive. Yeah, and, yeah they'll you know, try. I'm surprised like they, they haven't done that with the Christmas one, um, with Linus's sure beautiful speech. Try. Yeah, And, yeah. you know, you know, Seth, if and when, and you know I think they will, they lose the midterms in a couple weeks. And if they certainly lose 2024 to the Republicans, you can bet the Democrats are going to go off the deep end and they'll start doing crazy stuff. Like you know, let me pause sure. on that with you for a moment. I yeah. was thinking deeply about this very point this morning, <clears throat> which is, you know, all this stuff about we're so divided, we're so divided. And, um, you know, I I don't know the way out, but it's clear to me that the Democrats view and version of uniting the country isn't more liberty, openness or freedom. It's really coerced manufacturing of consent. You're seeing all these all these fundraising and and other statements from, you know, the Democratic leaders saying, you know, you vote for a Republican, you're threatening democracy. It's 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 pretty clear to me their idea of unity is we all become a uniparty state, a Democratic Party state. And I was just thinking, you know, we're we're always in the conversion business if we can be. But would a decisive Republican victory help create some kind of unity or more disunity? It sounds like you think more disunity. Oh, there's no doubt that it's going to create disunity. Um, Listen, Donald Trump was the least ideologically conservative candidate to run for the Republican Party nomination, let alone win, ever, I think. Probably not since Eisenhower. And yet they treated him, the left did, as though he were to the right of Ronald Reagan, which we know is a faux pas in their eyes. So, uh, you know, this was a guy that I know he, you know, Trump, I get it. His personality, he was a little bombastic. He was a little, 
a little argumentative. He certainly said things that kind of, you know, was meant to get under their skin. At the same time, though, you get past that and you realize this guy is going to be in office for four years. He keeps saying he wants to do deals. He had Pelosi, and he had Pelosi at the, uh, I think it was the first week of the inauguration. He met with the congressional leaders, and he said to Pelosi, let's get deals done. The election's over. And Pelosi was all a Twitter. And so I just, I, you know, I, I don't know. And I, I don't think that it, it, it doesn't matter who's the nominee. If the Republicans win, whether it's by a large margin or a small margin, the Democrats are going not going to go into let's be conciliatory mode. It's going to be, you know, you know, let loose the, 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 the hounds of hell and rip this, burn the cities down, burn the campuses down. Everyone I don't agree with is a Nazi, and therefore they're not human and they need to be destroyed. And I think, you know, we, 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 we assume because of the media narrative that January 6th is when political violence under the Trump years began. But it did not. Political violence began really uh, with the Democrats burning the cities down, burning the campuses down the week that he won the White House in 2016. People forget about this. But there was a week long of fiery protests that were not very peaceful. And it was being organized and led by Democrats because they were so aggravated about the, uh, the, the, the Trump victory. So I don't think it matters who wins in 2024. If they've got an R next to their name, you can bet you they're going to be treated as shabbily as Donald Trump. Maybe not as bad, but within that area of being treated bad. So this idea that we're going to unite, I just, under the current Democratic leadership and their base, I don't see it. I, 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 I think you're doing a... Um a really good job of explaining the trajectory, uh, Brandon, and I agree with everything you said. It's worth reminding people, because it does seem like this object in the rearview mirror is uh, is closer than it was, but, but when Donald Trump was running, you're absolutely right. I mean, the big issue for conservatives was we're not sure he is. <laughs> people, right. have, people have short memories on how uncertain people were about ideological commitments and positions of Donald Trump. Right. He did seem to have a generally center-right but non-ideological commitment to things, which was maddening right. to the right. People forget all of that. Uh, they forget the riots on his very inauguration day in Washington, right. D.C. But I, I guess what I'm asking is this um, slight, slight, slight twist to the question. Mm-hmm. If the victory uh, on November 8th is so decisive that could it possibly have an effect to the Democratic leadership that you sometimes hear someone, not many, but someone like James Carville saying, what the hell are we doing talking about this stuff? What we're, we're talking like crazy people. Do you think it could have the effect of saying, man, the country got a taste of what we are like when we're unrestrained and they don't like it? We need. Do you think it'll have any moderating influence on at least the Democratic leadership? That That's a question that, I, that I'm okay, throwing so out there. Okay, so specifically the leadership. Yeah, what I the think. leadership. I think, and I told you this after Pelosi's trip to Taiwan, Yeah, I think that Pelosi knows that she's not going to be Speaker. She has no desire, I think, especially now after this thing with Paul, with who knows what happened there, really. Uh, but I think she knows that her time in government is over. She's old anyway. So first of all, I don't think Pelosi's going to be there after the midterms. I think this is going to be her last term. Uh, and then Schumer, Schumer goes with the wind. 
Um, so if Pelosi's gone and Schumer's kind of just out there, um, Steny, he's tough. But honestly, I think the real issue is there are two groups driving or three groups driving the Democratic Party, and it is not the Democratic Party's congressional leadership. It is their crazed voters. It is the media. And it is their crazy, lunatic, billionaire donor class. And those three groups do not want to brook any deal with, with the Republicans. They have all convinced themselves that the Republicans are like literally Hitler and the Nazis. And so if you believe that your opponent is the Nazi incarnation, you are not going to brook any kind of compromise with them. And so, no, I don't actually think there's going to be any moderating influence. Unlike my car. And if Trump. Yeah, go ahead. ahead. I was just just going to say, unlike my car, uh, (laughs) let me let me add a fourth wheel (laughs) to your three. (laughs) Let me. (laughs) And it's this, uh, Brandon. Um, Not only everything you said about uh, the, the various groups, but also. Where the energy and the glamour is, is not with Steny Hoyer or any no. of the um, old-time Democratic women in the House and Senate. It's with the younger squad. That's where yeah. the glamour is. That's where right. the fascination is. That's where the culture and the Tonight and Daily shows are. Right. So right. there's and that, the about, too. Yeah. And the thing that we have to remember, and this is my firm belief, is that why, what was the triggering point, and I'm not saying we're going to have an actual civil war, but we're in a cold civil war, yep. as our friends at Claremont yep. have been saying. Angelo Cotevilla was the master saying this. Yep. Um, we are in a cold civil war. What was the triggering event for the first civil war in our country? Specifically, it was the election of Abraham Lincoln. The South said, if you elect this man, we're leaving. And we elected him. And good, uh, good for us, because he was a great man. Um, but I think that if in the particular case of 2024, if Donald Trump is the nominee, which he very well may be at this rate, and if he wins, which I think the Republicans will likely win in 24 unless they cheat, you know, unless the Democrats cheat, um, then I think that we could have a very violent four years ahead of us, just as we did when Abraham Lincoln uh, was elected. Look, it's hard hard to escape the fact that uh, during Donald Trump's presidency, there was justification from every member of the Democratic Party, justification or silence for violence, including the daily bombings, daily Molotov cocktail bombings of a federal courthouse, daily, when the attorney general was just flabbergasted in his testimony to the Senate that Democrats couldn't find the resources within themselves to denounce even that. Uh, All culminating in the riots of 2020, in which we saw firebombings of police facilities everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and justified or silence from the Democrats. That was their only mode. I don't remember, and I'm happy to be corrected. How much time do I have, Bill? Uh, i got to take a quick break. Let me take the break on this, Brandon. We'll come back on it. But I don't remember, though I'm happy to be corrected, a single prominent Democrat, I, I'm stretching to find a non-prominent one in my head, who denounced any of that violence, really, ever, once. Um, I would look forward to be I would look forward to be corrected on that. I don't think I will be. Brandon Weikert and I will be right back.
Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Uh, he is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Really important op-ed he has up uh, at, over at American Greatness, by the way, on uh, avoiding World War III. We'll get to that in a few moments. Brandon, so what you had adumbrated about a Republican win in the midterms and perhaps a Republican win in 2024, uh, you, 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 you're saying that, you know, this is not going to pacify the divide in the U.S. In fact, it probably will attend with more violence. And and you make a really interesting, you know, past his prologue case for that because we have that. Um, and, and people just seem to to move on and forget, as you put it, political violence in this country began on January 6th, uh, 2021. At least that's that's where the history books start with the media and the and 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 the social media. Social media does have a um, a real problem here, or at least it's helping to create a real problem here. Um, I don't know if you want to address the violence another way, or if you would like to talk about what you were talking about in Carmel, Indiana, on the issue of social media because yeah. I find it fascinating as well. There yeah. is a segue. So there is. So I was asked. Uh, by our friend David Goldman, who writes The Strangler. He's my editor over at the Asia Times. Uh, would I be willing to fill in for him uh, at a, on a panel uh, at the Liberty Fund? And it was off the record talk, so I'm not going to get into the details of what the other panelists said, but I, I will talk about what I said. Yeah, sure. Basically, basically, I was the minority opinion that I, like David, believe that we should be regulating big tech, specifically those social media platforms, and I believe that we should be regulating them likely uh, the way we regulated the utilities companies in the previous century. Now, nobody liked that, uh, what I said, that, but... I like it. Rec- I like yeah, it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I, we, need, we need to recognize that, first of all, social media data, all data, is this modern economy what electricity was to the previous economy of the previous century. Mm, it is the sine qua non. It, it is the absolute essential component. And so what these social media companies in particular, but all tech companies with these apps, what they have done is they have created these front-facing, seemingly innocuous uh, applications like Facebook, like you know Twitter, whatever. And they say, we want you to use our products so you can connect and you can build up these online communities open and free and blah, blah, blah. But really what it's about is acquiring our personal data as much of it as possible and as quickly as possible so they can then have it in a database, these companies, and then sell them to third parties via these very shadowy data brokers. And so what I was saying is that, you know, this is not an issue of straight up, you know, let the free market run because it's not a free market. Because we now have seen, particularly with these social media companies, and great job, Elon Musk, for buying Twitter, but already you're seeing the knives come out. And already you're seeing Jack Dorsey, who encouraged Elon to buy Twitter. Jack Dorsey's now creating an alternative to Twitter that's going to be just for liberals. And so now already you're seeing the, 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 the way that these, these tech titans operate. Most of them are left. Most of them do not want to have the right-wingers having even a slight voice. And so you can't say let the market be the market because the left has absolute control. They've got absolute control over this very important industry or near absolute. They've got near absolute control over the bureaucracy that regulates. They've got near absolute influence in Congress via lobbying that are paid by these tech firms 
They've got the, the, the pop culture behind them. They've got academia behind them. What Lenin called the transmission belts of a given society, the transmission belts are all of them under the control of the left. And so the idea that we can just ignore the social media threat, let it be deregulated as it has been, let them continue to claim we're not publishers and therefore we're immune from legal action, even as we're, I don't know, picking what's going to be published on our platform a lot like a publisher does, um, Unless we start using government power, as Senator Josh Hawley and others have been saying that we need to do, that we are going to keep being in this situation where we are at each other's throats. We are always on the losing end of the of the of the divide. Um, you know, they've done medical studies that have proven that social media further divides, even on innocuous subjects, rather than unites people. They have proven that the algorithms are designed to do that. They are designed to be toxic. I, what I was saying to one of the panelists at this event, I said, hey, look, she, you know, she was saying that, you know, we, you, you can't, you don't sue Chevrolet if somebody gets into an accident, uh, you know, with their car. I said, wait a second, you can choose sue Chevrolet in an accident if the vehicle is proven to be defective. And I said, you know, the, or, the or sold so, or sold fraudulently, sold under false right. pretenses. And said, yeah, and said, false ad. Yeah. The, the whole thing about social media is there are dozens and dozens of medical studies, specifically with TikTok, by the way that are showing that they are proving to have psychological detrimental impacts on something like one out of every three teenager that uses uh, these products. So this is a toxic product. It needs to be regulated like a toxic product. And it's also, by the way, being used as a political weapon against overwhelmingly conservative uh, uh, people. It's depriving those individuals of their First Amendment rights. And it's not a question of just let the market be because the market isn't regulating because the market has been destabilized by the fact that the tech firms have so much power and influence and they're almost all of them overwhelmingly liberal. And so we're going to have to use the force of government when we finally have control over it to rein these guys in. Otherwise, we're going to keep having 2020 happen. We're going to keep having these horrible lockdowns. Did you see this article in the Atlantic today? Yeah. Where this writer, this writer's begging for all you over know, it. Yeah, all oh, over it. This is an economist that, at Brown that, that, University. Sure, if you're yeah, on her is, side, I can understand why you'd want to be forgiven. Yeah. Right, right. And Seth, that was all made possible by social media yeah. and the fact that almost all of them had control, were controlled by the left. Yeah. We cannot let this happen anymore. We cannot just leave it to the creative destruction of the market. And I say that as somebody who knew Walter Williams before he passed, who loves Thomas Sowell, but this is too, this is too big and too important to let the liberals have their way with it. Yeah, there's a few things uh, worth uh, further unpacking in what you said. I think I agree with all of it. Um, a few things. Uh, first of all, Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Uh, if people think Elon Musk is coming to the rescue of the Republican Party right. or the conservative movement, they're going to have another think coming. Uh, He's a lifelong Democrat. Even if I'm wrong about that, the idea that we need to wait for one immigrant billionaire to preserve some semblance of speech in America is an absurdity and and, yeah. and leaves us open to all kinds of all kinds of stratagems. Third, if I might, you mentioned, you know, our our default to like free markets, of course. But I'm always I'm always reminded that or I'd like to remind. Let me take a break on this and we'll come back on it if you want, Brandon. I'm always I, I always think it's worth reminding. I don't think there's a market in America for anything that is completely free. The idea of a free market 
or the inclination to want markets to be free does not mean everything should be freely available in the marketplace. I have a big argument with people, including some in my audience, that just because um, we can't and shouldn't ban someone like Jordan Peterson doesn't mean we can't and shouldn't be able to ban someone like the Ayatollah or Louis Farrakhan. We need to be a little more discerning about all of this. But yeah, the unregulated social media has led to a lot of damage from the psychology to the political. We can pick up on all that when we come right back. I'm Seth East Brandon, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at we the Brandon. Um, anyway, Brandon, I was making, and I said a mouthful there, but the notion of a free marketplace doesn't mean everything should be free, and there is no market right. of anything in this country that has ever been unregulated uh, to, right. to uh, 100%. Everything from uh, the water we drink to the cars we drive to the platforms that we can engage on. Um, right. It's just that it has been weaponized uh, overtly in one direction, and we're trying to find we're trying to find something along the lines of a neutral principle to uh, right. to communicate with one another. But it has driven people to extremes. Um, there's no question. Not everyone. But it has. It has made for more extreme uh, comparison, more extreme analog, more extreme rhetoric. Um, and there are things that can be done about it. Uh, there's all, you know, any kind of model legislation. John Hinderocker has some in Minnesota. Uh, there's some that's been um, approved of, at least legally, in Texas. Um, and you know, we we do it with our phone lines. Why? The, that's right. This 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 is if we can do it with open communications through our phone lines, we can certainly do it through every other vehicle of communication. And and, and I want to make it clear, the Liberty Fund, good on them for bringing me out there, knowing that I was going to disagree with the majority yeah, of the audience sure. there. But the, it was a wonderful event. There, I highly recommend people look into them. They're a phenomenal group. They're doing really good work. Um, but on this one issue, I have to disagree with that sort of libertarian theory of economics only because we now see after really, you know, four years, we really see the kind of damage that unregulated tech has done to the psyche and the, the, the political health of the political body of America to the point now that we're talking seriously that we could be at some point in a civil war exacerbated in no small part by these unregulated liberal-dominated uh, systems. And I think it's important to note, as you said, you know, we cannot be leaving our, our fate to just a lone, you know, gonzo South African billionaire with all these different baby mamas. Uh, you know, we, we really need to have a little bit more consistency and stability uh, from our legislature. Um, and this is another issue that I talked about that night with the Liberty Fund is that, you know, hey, look, Another issue is that Congress has abdicated its legislative authority Correct. pretty much for the last 50 years, Correct. increasingly. Correct. And so it would be nice when you, I see young, up-and-coming Republicans like Hawley coming out and saying, hey, look, we as senators and congressmen, if we get the majority, we need to impose regulation on these firms from a legislative perspective, not just leave it up to the executive. It needs to be done legislatively. And so, and, and, and you know, th that may be that, yeah, these guys and gals don't really fully understand tech. I worked on the Hill 
yes, it's technologically backward, and that's a problem. But at the same time, we can't keep doing what we've been doing. Because what we've been doing in this case, the devil we know, is actually worse than the devil we don't know. Because we know where this has led us. And if we let the left continue to have their monopoly on our data, which they do on these platforms, we're going to keep losing. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be, you know, increasingly we're not just enemies of the Democrats, we become enemies of the state. Mm -hmm. And you already see this happening. Mm -hmm. We're now, we're non-people in the eyes. I mean, an intelligence, my God, an intelligence report was issued in the last 24 hours that MSNBC is now running with, and they're melding it with this ridiculous Paul Pelosi attack. And they're saying that, well, the intelligence community came out in the last 24 hours saying that right-wing domestic terrorism is at all-time highs, and it is extreme threat to the national security of the United States. The 17 U.S. intelligence agencies came out with a report that said that. Are you kidding me? And they made no mention, none, of the fact that the left has been for the last five years ripping this country apart, burning the cities down because they didn't like Orange Man in the White House. I mean, we talk about, we talk about the fact that, and it was terrible, that, you know, the congressional Democrats may have been, you know, they were threatened by the January 6th. Uh, you know, uh, rioters and that, you know, it was horrible that they were going to try to supposedly hang Mike Pence, which it was terrible. But what about the fact that during the summer riots, the race riots in in Washington, D.C., they had to move. Secret Service had to take President Trump, Melania and Barron Trump and shove them in an elevator in the White House and send them down to the Piot, which is the presidential bunker under the White House. Because they thought that the crowd was going to overwhelm the White House security guards and that they were going to try to get into the White House and kill then-President Trump. No one ever talks about that. That was the same night, by the way, that they burned down St. John's, that oh, yeah. beautiful church. That, so no one talks about that. No, I, yes, the, the, you're, ab- you're stand, absolutely right, or a whole string of left-wing violence uh, against conservatives or people who celebrated, people with big names, who celebrated when Rand Paul was attacked, by my count now, three times. Brandon Weikert and I will come back. Let's let's talk a little um, uh, in your other area of expertise, Brandon. Let's talk a little bit uh, foreign policy. Looks like trouble in Latin America with uh, with no no idea what to do about it. I'm Seth. He's Brandon J. Weikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Are you concerned with stock market volatility, especially with President Biden in office? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. And there is no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. Thanks to Y-Refi, you will get a secure collateralized, an investment in a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. And in this investment, you are doing well by doing good for others. Do check out my friends at Y-Refi. They are a due diligence approved firm offering up a ten up to ten point two five percent rate of return. That's right, ten and a quarter percent. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest letter Y, R E F Y dot com, or give them a call at eight five five Y Refi thirty four. That's 
Let me refix that number. That's 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. InvestYREFI.com or 888-Y-REFI-34. And make sure you tell them, my friends at YREFI that I sent you. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Brandon, um, wonderful always talking culture and domestic politics. I uh, often neglect to because I keep uh, keep falling so much for everything you say with regard to foreign policy. But let's do a little foreign policy. Um, Latin America, man, Brazil, we're losing another one here. I don't yeah, think and I don't think yeah. we have a strategy for this. No, in fact, one of my followers on Twitter, and he might be a listener of your show, I don't know, um, said this morning, he tweeted at me, he said, um, what do you mean we don't have a plan? This is their plan. This is Biden's plan to let the left, the socialist psychopaths of the left who spent the last 50 years destroying the miracle of Colombia mm-hmm. or Brazil mm-hmm. and let them have power again. This is all fellow travelers, uh, you know, in D.C. and with these Latin American socialists. Uh, and, and he might be right, this, this, this Twitter follower of mine, because I, this has been going on for two years now. Ever since Biden took power. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Remember when Obama took power? Yep. One of the first crises of his presidency was in Latin America. Honduras, was, right? Yep. But yes, being the right-leaning government of Honduras that actually ended up in that, that government collapsing. Yeah. Uh, Obama was encouraging these lunatic left wingers, these absolute, you know, Sandinista or whatever, these these commies taking over. The same thing's going on again. And Biden is looking the other way because I think secretly Biden wants this to happen. Biden wants the left to take back power. And Brazil's especially interesting because for most of the Cold War era, Brazil was firmly in the camp of the communist leaning socialists. And it was highly corrupt. The people were miserable. Economy was doing horrible there. Then Bolsonaro takes power. And it was like a light went on. And that man came and completely reinvigorated that country and made it, it was making it into a dynamo that it should be. He was partnering with the United States for the first time since the 1950s at the Alcantara Launch Center, which is an amazing area to launch uh, uh, things into space. Uh, he was partnering with the U.S. Space Force. There was talk when Trump was in office in 2018 of making Brazil a, a partner or an observing member of NATO. Mm-hmm. That's how close mm-hmm. that Bolsonaro and Brazil, if anybody knows Latin American politics, Brazil is considered the unofficial head of South America. That's right. That wherever Brazil goes, right. that's where they Yeah, the they set the climate and the temperature. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and now Bolsonaro is gone and that idiot is in charge again. What's his name? Silva, the blue-eyed wonder. And uh, I'm telling you right now, we are losing this region. And here are the implications for that. Not only does that mean, you know, the whole region is going to be poorer, and that means likely more migration flows northward to the United States, but that also means that, that, that the Russians, the Chinese, and, yes, the Iranians are going to have massive amounts of increased influence and standing in the region. Just like what they did with Venezuela, right? Just the same That's way right. they did it with Venezuela. That's right. That's right. And so this is a nightmare. No one's talking about it. And, uh, you know, like like the Twitter follower of mine said, hey, this might actually be their plan in D.C., in the Biden White House. Let the left take over. That's what they want. This is a nightmare. We are losing this region. And I tell you what, this is not going to end well. If you're worried about the border, when these economies start collapsing the way they do under these socialist governments, 
You're going to see the mother of all migrations up north of people, undocumented migrants, refugees, whatever, trying to flow north to find a better life here in the United States and not wanting to wait in line like they should. I um I have a caller occasionally. He calls in. He's probably one of my most popular callers in the sense that I get emails and other calls saying, "Let's hear more from him." Well, I you know when he calls, he calls. <laughs> but um, he is uh, he is from Venezuela, um, and he sounds like uh, the kind of person you've heard from Cuba. He sounds like the kind of person we've heard from the Czech Republic and other Slovenic nations that move here. Um, they they come here uh, having lost a country, basically worried when they get here that they could lose another country, um, their new yeah. one, America. And my guess is uh, we are going to start seeing not just economic um, and um, amnesty claiming economic refugees flowing up from Latin America, political to be sure, but I think we're going to be seeing a lot of expats from these countries that are coming here, oh, saying sure. just just like the Cuban, just like the Cuban Americans, just like oh, the Czech sure. Americans, just like the Polish sure. Americans, just like the Hungarian yep. Americans. Yep, yep, and it's you know, and some of that's going to be good, but some of it, you know, the, the the problem is this is hugely destabilizing for our body politics. Yeah, we cannot deal with this massive influx of people without some kind of process for bringing them in and making sure that they're going to be able to, A, be safe, and B, contribute. Uh, You know, it's just we don't have a system in place, and we don't have the security in place. And um, this is, you know, the left, wherever they go, they create chaos. Everything, it's the opposite of the Midas touch. Everything they touch turns to garbage. And um, it's not going to end well. And you're looking at plunging a region that was starting to do well, Latin America, into absolute backwardness and self-destruction, all because this administration has basically encouraged the worst elements of these polities to rise to power, and now we're going to have to pay for it over the next probably half century. Yeah, uh, th- this uh, this is such a this is such a resignation of American leadership in our uh, own hemisphere. Yeah, in our own hemisphere, it's such a reversal of the Monroe Doctrine. It's such a reversal of the notion that we want to seek alliances and allies with liberty lovers everywhere rather than turn blind and callous eyes to, uh, to you know, re- 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 regnant socialism and uh, recrudescent communism. It's, it's just a sad, sad resignation for freedom at the end of the day, even more so than for America. Brandon, we didn't get to your great piece at American Greatness. We'll bookmark it for next time. But right. for those that want to read it, America, World War Three, and space-based missile defense. Be safe tonight with your kids. Have fun. Thank you. And thank you, Brandon Weikert, for everything you, you do. One. And you are. All right. God bless you and thank you. I'm Seth Liebson. Be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. For those of you uh, within the audience with children, be safe tonight. Please, please, please be safe. Uh, Inspect those candies, too. Um, I was just thinking about what Brandon was talking about with the collapse of uh, what's happening in Latin Central and Latin America and has been um, under the Obama and Biden administrations. Uh, Brazil's a big one, and it's... 
an absence of leadership. There were Republican small R efforts once upon a time in other countries to help teach uh, the virtues and the values of what we have here. Uh, We stopped on that. I was thinking about when Ronald Reagan came to office because things look so much like they were when Jimmy Carter was in office. And the most famous foreign policy piece at the time was written by someone I'm proud to claim was once a boss of mine, Jean J. Kirkpatrick. She was a professor at Georgetown when she wrote this seminal piece called Dictatorships and Double Standards. It became the blueprint for Ronald Reagan's foreign policy, and she became his ambassador to the United Nations. But I was just I was going back to look at it because uh, you, you hear these faint echoes of 1979 all over again, 1978 all over again. She opened her piece this way. The failure of the Carter administration's foreign policy is now clear to everyone except its architects. And even they must entertain private doubts from time to time about a policy whose crowning achievement has been to lay the groundwork for a transfer of the Panama Canal from the U.S. to a swaggering Latin dictator of Castroite bent. In the 30-odd months since the inauguration of Jimmy Carter, we're almost at 30 months, we're almost at 30 months with Joe Biden, right? In the 30-odd months since the inauguration of Jimmy Carter as president, there has occurred a dramatic military buildup matched by the stagnation of American armed forces by the Soviets, a dramatic extension of their influence in the Horn of Africa, Afghanistan, South Africa, and the Caribbean, matched by a declining American position in all these areas. Well, the Soviet Union may not exist in fact or in physicality, but its undergirding ideology does, and it's all those same regions all over again. History does repeat itself, but it doesn't have to. It shouldn't. I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Thank you again. Classes dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.